Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the PowerShell Podcast. PowerShell Podcast. Ready, set, and begin. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm with Andrew. I'm Andrew. And I'm with Jordan. And today we have a special guest, uh, Jeff Hicks. Hello, everyone. You are a legend of PowerShell. I remember 2018, the ex- the excitement, just even getting to me, I probably don't remember. Mostly I went around getting awkward photos with people in 2018. Yeah, I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I'm probably one of the last surviving old guard or original gangsters of PowerShell, which is kind of fun in some regards and other ways I'll look around and go, where's everyone I used to know? It's all these new people like you guys, but that's good because we, that means I've done my job. Yes. And it's a sign of help bringing up the next generation of PowerShell professionals who will carry on and get people excited and educate and, and then you'll bring on the next group and so it'll continue. So that's a good thing. That's awesome. Yeah. The the systems that can kind of keep sustaining themselves when it's not just you putting in the effort to keep them alive. You know, the, the work of your cumulative effort is enough to have a huge impact, a lasting impact, right? So very cool. It's awesome to see that you have that. And it's awesome to see that that's something that other people can create for themselves. And for me, seeing you do that, it's thank you for kind of showing us the way and allowing us the room to also improve it and make it better in the future. Yeah. I mean, I, I started my career in essence modeled after Mark Manassi. I saw what Mark was doing and and writing and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, that looks like fun. Let me see if I can do that. And so, you know, took a bit of effort, but eventually I started doing one thing after another. And then I started having a career kind of like him. And I've had people come up to me and say, Hey, I want to, how do you do what you do? I want to do what you do. And I tell them, you know, give them some advice on how to get along and, and move up to that. And, yeah, that, that's good. But so it's I, it's flattering to have people come up to me and say, "Oh, I've learned so much from you," and that's actually quite rewarding. Because in an earlier part of my career or my life, my pre-PowerShell career, my original plan was to be a college professor to actually right. teach. Right. No, you're crushing um, it then. That didn't work out the way that I thought it would, but actually, in some ways, maybe it's the better because I'm still doing that now. Right. And I, I think over the last. Last five to ten years of my career, I've really focused more on education and being a teacher and mentoring and bringing people up and helping them get over, you know, obstacles to learn something new. Because I know that once they learn PowerShell, it helps them advance their career. And if they can advance their career, they can earn more money. And maybe earning more money not only helps them, but maybe it helps their family. You know, th- there's no. And maybe they decide, you know what? Yeah, I learned this thing and I'm going to mentor, you know, in my community. You know, if Jeffrey Snover or someone at the the other day at the opening keynote talked about a force multiplier. Right. And yes. I'm starting to think, well, yeah, that's kind of what I should try to look at this as I'm a force multiplier and I'm going to try to to spread the the you know, spread the love in PowerShell. Yes. That's you know, the we're doing I'm doing the on-ramp program. So, so we're recording this during the PowerShell summit. And I'm doing the on-ramp program, which is a kind of a conference within a conference from the main PowerShell event. So the main PowerShell event, for those people who are listening who don't know about it, is really high level, 400, 500 level, like master's level 
doctorate level PowerShell content. And those of us who started the PowerShell Summit years ago kind of realized, you know what, we need to bring in new people. Not everyone's going to be at this really high level. So we need to start getting people up. Now, we didn't want to necessarily provide, have tracks because we're limited in space anyway. So we didn't, couldn't really afford to have a separate room for like intro level content. Um, and that would also then start diluting the rest of the event. But at the time, the, the, the DevOps Collective was also involved with this other organization that was helping promote uh, entry-level IT people, and especially for people from underprivileged or underdeserved, underserved uh, populations. Is that and the IT Works? That's the IT Works. We, we really wanted to interview Marcus, who... Uh, I think out of Vegas is where yeah. he's at. And we just weren't able to hook up with him. It was, it's, uh, it's kind of a bummer, but uh, what he does seems. Yeah. So we built this on-ramp program. Uh, it's taken a couple iterations to get it where I like where it is today. So the on-ramp program is designed primarily for entry-level IT people. Uh, the DevOps Collective provides, this year we provided six full-ride scholarships to the event. That's which huge. Which includes tickets airfare, hotel. So it was a five grand plus ticket price. And then we open up, you know, it's a separate ticket from the main event, but it focuses on IT professionals who are just getting started. So I'm teaching them not only some PowerShell fundamentals, so really a crash course in, in PowerShell, but they're also getting an introduction to all the technologies that we cover in the main conference, Azure and DevOps and Pester and all those sorts of things. So I've got people coming in to give them an introduction. Um, tomorrow they're going to learn, for example, about containers. Now they may never use containers, but at least if someone says container, they'll have an idea of what that is or know where to go to learn more. And I also have people coming in to do soft skills. Um, Ashley McClone did a presentation for me on soft skills for an IT professional. Very uh, important. Chrissy Lemaire did a recording for me and she talked about having a career in IT. And for a lot of these people, you know, coming up, I think it's very helpful to hear someone who's been in the industry. This is what I face. This is how I got over it. Here's some tips and a lot of this, like Ashley's stuff, a lot of it's common sense, but sometimes you just need someone to say it. And you need to hear it in a certain context. Yes. So. Yeah. I'll, um, be, I'll be honest. I avoided the soft skills a, a lot of time until uh, early as yesterday, Andrew had a soft skills one and I tended to support him. And I, I guess what he covered was it, it's common sense, but it's not intuitive. Yes. Like until, so it's not something like normally you can intuitively pick it up. But it, once it's pointed out, it makes complete sense. But right, and not. when someone explains it in context, you go, oh, yeah, I guess I should do that. And I'm hoping, and, I, and as I watched you know, my group as they're watching the, these videos, they, I could see some people, they, oh, yeah, they're nodding. Because so I could see some of it was resonating with them. Right. And some of it, I think, it may take a year or two, and somehow, I think subconsciously, they'll, they'll remember process the term, it and go, yeah. oh, that's what Ashley was talking about. I see now. Um, and even some of the stuff I'm teaching, like with PowerShell, because right now, you know, it's really high level, really fast firehose type training, because I can only teach them so much in, yeah. you know, six or eight hours of total training. But the idea is to give them enough technical skills, introduction to the technologies 
terms and concepts so that they can then spend the next year getting up to speed and then come back and do the main event. Now, they still may be a little overwhelmed. Has some people even now coming to the main event who've been oh, in Powerful yeah. for years, but that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, if you went to, a, to an event that go, yeah, I've done that a gazillion times, I could teach that. That's probably not a good use of your time. So it's always good to go to a session that pushes you and says, boy, I have no idea how to do that. And there's lots of that in PowerShell. Everywhere you look. Yeah. Even if you are really strong in something, there's such a wide coverage of skills that you can find something that will be unique to you. If you're going somewhere, it's like, well, I know all that. You're, you're going to the wrong classroom. Right. Like there's plenty. It, that, that's on you, not the event, in my opinion. So uh, another thing I like about the soft skills that we're talking about was uh, it was with the different soft skills. I actually attended a second one because I liked Andrew so much. And it was, it doesn't matter how good your product or what you put out is if you can't get people to adopt it and that soft skills. So you have to be good on the technical to, to build what people are looking for, but you have to have the soft skills to get people to actually use it. Otherwise, it's even if it's perfect code, it's still no good. Yeah, soft skills, uh, as Ashley said in his uh, presentation today, is kind of, again, it's common sense, but it's a skill to be the person that you would want to work with. You know, if you're not that person, then you're probably not going to get very far. You know, you are your brand in the way that you present yourself to your coworkers and, and management. And you want to do things to present that in the best possible light. So when they say, hey, we have this new project. Oh, Andrew has shown great interest. He's a team player. He's easy to work with. You know, let's bring him along versus someone who just says no all the time. And says, oh, yeah, it's time for me to go and I'm out of here. You know, those those things add up and make a difference. I mean, I've been in IT for over 30 years. And so I, and I've been, you know, a lot of that was spent as a consultant. So I've seen a lot of different companies in different industries, different levels of skill sets, different positions. And there's always those same types of people that you see regardless of that. And I can usually tell you know, who's going to be a good person to work with. And I can tell it's like when I teach classes, there's always one person who I know is going to be a problem. I can tell, yeah, you're the one that's going to give me the hard time and just try to show me that you know more than I do. And, and I have strategies to deal with that. But, and I can also tell the people who are really passionate, say, yeah, I'm here. I want to learn. Um, but a soft skill is just your way of identifying that in yourself. Yeah. And carrying that on. And I don't think enough people, especially those in IT and certainly getting started, really take time to focus on that because they're so focused on, I got to learn the technology. And yes, you do. But as you said, you know, if you can't convey or communicate that technology to someone, it does you no good. Yeah. And plus, if you have soft skills, in, that's a huge differentiator and it shows in interviews. And if you're in a situation with a lot, with a great technical team, having someone with great soft skills can really increase what you all can do with your team. And just in general, yeah, it's a great skill to have. And uh, in the research for my talk, I found out that emotional intelligence and soft skills leads to more money as well. It leads to more efficiency. It leads to more money for you. It leads to more happy coworkers in a better world. I mean, it's a pretty good thing to invest in for sure. Yeah, because for a lot of people, and I still see this, even though we talk about it all the time, is your job is not your career. And so like a lot of people right. focus on the technical 
aspects of what I need to learn to do my job. And they think that's how they're going to advance. But if you take that technical content with the proper soft skills, that's what's advancing your career. Yes. It's not like it used to be like when I was a kid where someone worked at the same job for 40 years and then retired with a pension. It's not like that anymore. Right. Oh, I'd love to bring pensions back. I want to get in on that. <laughs> so now you're going to work, you know, probably five to 10 different places for someone who's just now entering the job market throughout your entire career. And the only way you're going to get that is by having the right combination of technical skills and the soft skills to let people know that you have those technical skills. So and I'll say this, and I'm not just saying this because the company will be listening and editing this. I hope that this is my last job where I'm at currently, which is something I've never felt before. It's kind of unique. So I'm, I'm kind of happy to be in a situation uh, where I found the right fit for me, but now I just need to work on the proper skills so they, they don't fire me. Yeah, I, I definitely know. I've now seen the benefits of having a pretty healthy culture and I've also seen the inefficiencies that are introduced when things aren't quite. And to me, it comes down to efficiency. If you have uh, low soft skills and low emotional intelligence, you're going to have a lot of situations that don't end up with desirable outcomes. You're going to have a lot of instances where you give people feedback, they don't receive it because you didn't deliver it in a way that was appropriate for that person. Or there's a lot of times when people will work on problems in isolation for days in a senseless way, answering a problem that doesn't exist because they were uh, too afraid to ask or ask someone else on the team or bring up a problem. Um, so it's a, a huge force multiplier to kind of bring that elevated level of soft skills to a team. Yeah, years ago... Um, I worked uh, on a team and there was a worked with a guy who was very closed lipped about what he knew on how to do stuff. Right. And he just didn't want to share because he, that was, people wanted, he wanted people to come to him in order to, to do something. So that kind of left a bad taste in a lot of people. So you know, no one really wanted to work with him because he kind of, yeah, I, I'm the one, I'm the guy. I, I know these things. And, and that's not going to get you very, very far. And I can't imagine you'd be happy. About no, that, but it'll, it'll get you locked into exactly what you're doing forever. And it's lonely. No growth. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Yeah. I, I mentioned a couple of these things, some similar stories during my talk. So this is really resonating with me because uh, I've been in a situation where I've kind of not been quite so tight lipped, but I definitely was hesitant to be honest about my mistakes, to be honest with my team, with the fact that I wasn't some PowerShell genius. I was just a human, despite them perceiving me to be really good. And um, yeah, that. And I think we need more storytelling. Yeah. Um, people telling their stories. And yeah. we get some of that here in the PowerShell summit, but that, that really struck me today, listening to Chrissy and, um, Ashley, because they told very personal stories and hearing that story, even, even though I know Chrissy and have known Ashley, you know, for a long time, I learned new things. I did not, I had no idea that was about them. Um, but hearing someone's story <clears throat> makes you, helps you put your life in perspective. At least it should, uh, assuming you're a person with empathy and yeah. not a sociopath, um, and go, Oh, yeah, I, I understand that. I, that makes sense to me. And, oh, yeah, I have felt that too. I guess I'm not the only one that feels that way. So if we, we need to do two things. One, we need to have more people tell those stories. And we have to be willing to listen empathetically and say, oh, and learn from, from that story. 
So I, I think if we can do more of those things, I think it makes us better just technologists, but also just better human beings. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. I'm sound like a really old man now. <laughs> it's very true, though. I mean, this stuff is impactful. And if it, for PowerShell, but for any kind of system, introducing that kind of thing is massively impactful. So the, the appeal, at least in, I think for the podcast, is we highlight the community because the community is great. It's supporting everything. And that took a lot of stuff. So uh, you, Jeffrey, and, and Don Jones, and I'm sure there's others are forgetting, but they, they you started a community that we built on, and it's important to keep going with the same same mentality because if we lose the community feeling, especially where PowerShell is so community driven, this will become a lesser product. Yeah, the the PowerShell community compared to other communities around technologies is probably the most passionate, involved community I think that I've ever seen. I've had other people who are involved in other you know languages and that sort of thing, and they have nowhere near the level of commitment. So there's something, and some that comes from even like someone like Jeffrey Snover, you know, who even though he is still at Microsoft, he has not been officially involved with PowerShell for years. Right. He's moved on to so many other roles, but it's still his baby. And he still speaks, comes to the PowerShell Summit, and it's still a big deal for him. And he still watches what the team does, even though that's well beyond, you know, he's risen way beyond that. Um, so that enthusiasm, and then Don Jones's enthusiasm were the you know some of the driving forces with that, and then also people just started realizing, well, this is a cool tool, and this really helps me get my job done, and they started spreading the word, saying, hey, look, look what you can do, look how easy this is, and then that just fed and fed. You know, I like I like to think that you know, the books that Don and I co-wrote helped you know, evangelize that and make it easier for people to learn. And what book was that? The Month of Lunches books. Right. Learn PowerShell in a Month of Lunches. Yeah. Every time I get that question on a webcast that I'm on, uh, how, how do I get started in PowerShell? It's that book. And I think there's a new version that came out like last month. Yeah. So so the way the, the books have worked is Don and I did like, or Don did the very first edition of Learn Windows and PowerShell in a Month of Lunches. The idea being you read a chapter on your lunch break, you know, over the course of a month, you're done. You know enough PowerShell to be dangerous or to be effective, okay? You're not be a master, but you know enough how to run a command from the prompt and, and do something effective. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote the Learn PowerShell scripting in a month of lunches that allow you to give you some basics to creating scripts and, and functions. And then I came in and worked on the second and third editions. Those books... Uh, so the third edition ended, I think we did that when PowerShell 3 or 4 was still up. We never updated it because we didn't need to. Because the absolute fundamentals of PowerShell, which is what we were teaching, have not changed since PowerShell version 3. So there was never any reason to update it. Right. Now in version 4, and these are all published by Manning, they updated the book to focus more on PowerShell 7 and also a lot of the cross-platform stuff. And, I mean, I, I have a copy. I haven't had a chance really to look through it. And I think they've also gone through and updated some of the examples to use more, you know, current examples. Even though fun, the fundamentals about help and select object and get command, it's the same thing as it was in version 2 even right. as it is in version 7. 
When we were talking to James Petty, who did the- One of the co-authors. Co-authors, yeah. He mentioned that initially they're looking to do a supplement of just adding the new technology to the old book. And then there ended up being so many tie-ins and rollbacks, they just had to come out with one that ties into, I guess, the the .NET core that it's built on now. And there's a lot of differences. So it it was initially supposed to be a supplement and it just became a whole new book, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so the the publishing world is kind of funny. because Manny would always come back to, to me and Don and say, hey, can we do an update? And that's just because of Google search. Right. You know, they and look at pu- people look at publication and they think, oh, that's updated. Well, in some cases that could be, but the stuff we were doing, we wrote the last book to be evergreen. We actually made a conscious effort to, re- to not refer to any PowerShell versions. So we just talked about Windows PowerShell. We didn't say version three or version four because the stuff we were, teaching or and writing about in the book was irrelevant to what version it was the, in terms of the fundamentals. Right, right, yeah. So they just, I, I think Manning got the best of both worlds in the new version is they're able to, you know, get their refresh and get something new to people. Everyone always wants something new and also still, you know, add the, the new content. Right. That's like, the idea is so innovative that you've seen a lot of uh, people follow the thing. Like the DBA tools is big enough. It has its own in a month. Oh, in a month of lunches. Did it start on PowerShell or was it already a thing with Manning? Uh, What? A month of lunches concept. The month of lunches concept was a Don concept. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So the month of learn PowerShell month of lunches was the first book. And that whole concept, he then pitched to Manning. And so they, I don't know if it was. Yeah, who knows? Uh, a series or idea that they're, that he sold them or whatever, but right. So yeah, there's learn Azure in a month of lunches. Learn, Jason Helmick wrote a learn IIS in a month of lunches book. Interesting. Cool. Way back when, yes, yeah, so it's a whole series that's structured in a certain way. Again, that you read a chapter a day. Yeah, and there's you know there's content, uh, an example, uh, and a practice exercise that you all can read. Awesome. You know, over your lunch break. Yeah, I grew up on those books. I, you know, whenever I got the whole opportunity to come here and I got into PowerShell, I remember Learn Power or Windows PowerShell. I don't remember the gray book, PowerShell in a month yep. of lunches, the yellow book. And then there was also another big tool making in a month of lunches, I believe. Yeah, so so Don and I wrote a follow up book that's published on LeanPub, mm-hmm. uh, the PowerShell scripting and tool making book. Mm-hmm. And that was designed to be a more all-encompassing, comprehensive, everything you need to know about partial scripting is in that book. Yeah. Um, and that's been updated a few times, and I'll include some stuff on, you know, scripting with PowerShell 7 and GUIs and and other things. The Learn PowerShell Scripting in the Month of Lunches books is really basic mm-hmm. about scripting and scope and creating a function and parameters and all that. Yeah. The LeanPub book is much more uh, expansive. But it's a nice little journey to go through them. Yeah, and then I wrote, since we're talking about books and learning PowerShell, and I probably should do an update for PowerShell 7 now that I've got the Linux book out. Oh, yes. So I've got the PowerShell practice primer. Now, this is aimed at Windows PowerShell, although a lot of the commands are still applicable and you will benefit even if you're doing it in PowerShell 7. So this book came about because people would say, yeah, I've learned PowerShell, but I don't know what to do with it. Right. So I wrote this book. It's basically 100 exercises, little challenges. The challenge is really kind of silly and meaningless, like, you know, how many commands you have that are get commands. Right. But the process, if you're totally new to PowerShell, well, I don't know how to find that out. The process of figuring out how to answer that question 
that's where you learn. It just gives you a reason to use PowerShell. And so the, the questions are really simple like that, and they get more advanced. So the 100 exercises, and I give you a suggested solution, and then a place where you can uh, do more. Uh, the online, it's on LeanPub, and when you, if you buy the book, then there's also a, a zip file that you can download. And I wrote it in such a way that it's a PS1 file that you can open up in VS Code or the IC, and it has comment block. So it gives you the question, right. and then you can put in your notes and all your answers and do it all in your editor. And so when you're all done, you have a PS1 file that has everything that you can go back and, and refer to. Very cool. Yeah, I also have that book. It's it's awesome because I can remember a time, especially earlier on in PowerShell, where it's like, okay, I have all these new tools. I'm not really at the point where I can think of things to automate or like have that confidence at work, but what can I do? And that's an amazing book full of, uh, like you said, problems that will kind of let you figure out the answer. And in doing that, you'll really gain mastery and get to kind of challenge yourself. And it's also a bit fun. That's why I did. It was fun. I, I always tell people, <clears throat> you know, learning PowerShell is like learning a foreign language. It's like learning Hungarian. Right. The only way you're going to be proficient in Hungarian is to immerse yourself in it and use it every day. Yes. I usually speak some pretty decent Swedish. I haven't had a need to speak Swedish in decades. So I can do a few words. I can read some, but my proficiency is gone. So you need to do something with PowerShell every day. And that's so the, the PowerShell practice primer is a good thing. I tell people, if nothing else, just find some random commandlet and read the help or read an about topic that you've not the about, read yeah, before. We, we covered those with uh, Jess Pomfret, the about topic that those are, they're not really mentioned a lot, but the detail they have about just, it's basically concepts. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So just find, even just exposing yourself to that every day <clears throat> will help you. Uh, years ago, uh, I think back in the PowerShell two days, I was doing some training and I went out to do some PowerShell training for Western state for some government department. And we're like day two and I'm teaching PowerShell and I get really sick so much that this has never happened before. Never, never happened since knock on <laughs> wood here. I went back to my hotel room. We, we had to cancel class. I just had to gut it out until I could feel well enough to fly home. We reschedule the, the class. So I come back and say, Hey, what have you guys been doing with PowerShell? Nah, nothing. So I had to start, you know, completely from scratch. They had no initiative. Even though I had shown them enough to get started, they'd shown no initiative. They not learned anything. So you have to use it every day. I just got an email from someone who watches some of my Pluralsight courses. He said, you know, English is not his first language, and he's kind of struggling to learn PowerShell. He says, this feels like another language. And I emailed him back and said, well, yes, it is. It is like another language, and you have to use it every day. And nice thing about like the Pluralsight courses on video, you can play them at a slower speed. You know, like, so if English is not your first language, and I get there, a lot of people like that. Um, or you can rewind it and say, okay, what was he talking about again? Um, I think Pluralsight also has transcripts. So okay, I can take the transcript and probably dump it into Google Translate. Okay, okay now I can, can read this. So there are, there are ways around that, but it's a language. And if you want to learn that language, you have to use that language. Have to use that language. Yep. So 
do you have advice for people? And I almost ran into this myself. The first time I automated something, it took me so long. It was hard to see the value. Like it's hard to see the end of the road where so much of your work is then automated and you can do so many great things with it. With the first one, it's so much work to get such little outcome. It feels like, like yes. how do you keep going? How do you keep on going? You keep on going because you know you have to. So I've been doing PowerShell since it's beta days, since 2006. So for me, PowerShell is like breathing. It's just, I don't mean to, to boast or anything, but it just is. Right. You've been using it for a long time. I've That's been what using happens, it for so long. Saying, right? I dream about it. I dream in it. I'm, I'm always. It's a language. Yeah. Everything I do, I do from. Yeah. So, so it's easy for me. <clears throat> but that only happened because I did it all the time. So to your point, <clears throat> and I, this also happened at a in-person class I, I was teaching. When you have a problem, something you want to do in PowerShell, the first thing you should do is not go Google how to do it. So I had a student, and she was trying to do something. She found a script online. She then spent the next week trying to get that script to work in her environment, which was really highly secure. So she had to like change variables and muck around with all sorts of things. At the end of the week, all she really learned was copying and pasting and, you know, editing a file. She still really had no idea about how that code worked if she ever really got to work at all. Whereas if she took the time and realized, okay, I'm going to invest some time. It's going to take me hours, if not a couple of days to do this. At the end of that time, she will have learned how to do the task. She'll have learned how to learn which is the big thing about PowerShell. I spend a lot of time teaching people about get member, get command, select object, find command. Um, once you learn how to learn, and you can, you'll discover that as you are slaving through and banging your head and destroying your liver as you're trying to write your new PowerShell code. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of that time, though, you then have something that works in your environment. So if she had done that, at the end of that week... If she spent that week writing code from scratch, she would have learned a lot of PowerShell. She would have learned how to learn. And she would have had a tool that worked in her environment. It would have been organic. Right. And so you just have to give yourself the permission to know, yes, I'm going to invest time and it will hurt. But eventually you'll start having, and it'll hurt because you haven't fully, your brain hasn't fully adopted or accepted the PowerShell paradigm of objects in the pipeline and really intuitively grasp the way that PowerShell works. Once people get that, and you can only get that through repetition, then the light bulb goes on and go, oh, now I understand that. And then the next time you do that, it's faster, right? And I'm sure you've seen this, the following up time. So you just have to give yourself the permission and realize, yes, I will have to invest some time up front but it will pay off in the long run. So that's for me, you know, I've spent the last 15 years or so doing PowerShell to the point now where if someone says, how do I do something? I can just blurt it all out. And it's, it's just second nature to me. Right. Not, it was not like that in 2007, but now in 2022, it, it is. Right. And it's awesome because I, what you've done is replicatable. You can do it. 
You can learn one step at a time. You can, um, you know, spend your time with PowerShell. And I know that for me, after seeing other people and seeing that, you know, I imagine they'd gone through similar things, I was eventually comfortable being lost in the shell, so to speak, like really confused, not quite sure where to go, but comfortable being lost for a while and trying to figure out how to make things work and eventually stumbling upon making it work and getting that serotonin release and feeling so accomplished and proud and taking one step. And then like you're saying, eventually that gets faster and faster and easier. And then it's second nature and you're doing things you never thought were possible because now you're seeing things through a whole new light. And, but in the very beginning, it's hard to kind of see that, but having experiences like you and other people we've had on the show to say, Hey, that's how it starts. You start at a very low level. We all do. We use the language more. We get to a higher level. Mm-hmm. And just don't give up and know that you will continue improving. Um, you just have to spend a bit of time lost. There's yeah, no, there's no be, instant gratification with uh, PowerShell. <laughs> it's, you, you get well, a bit, big payoff at the end, but there's no... I don't know. I don't know. Restart maybe, service? Maybe, maybe it was good. just uh, so me, there, but... Uh, yeah, first there may I, be a few things that can give you some instant gratification, but they're only because... It achieves a result that you want, not that you necessarily understand right. how or why you're getting that result. Yeah. Okay. I guess I, the first thing that I had to do was is query Active Directory for things that fell within like accounts that didn't meet certain parameters. And when right. I finished that, that did feel pretty good. It's like, hey, I've got this entire report of users that we need to make corrections on. That did feel good, but it's it's not uh, it's not like a big win. It's just like, hey, that's pretty cool. But it gets going. But like the big payoff where you can just sit down and and really start automating away the things that you don't necessarily enjoy doing that that's the payoff that oh yeah yeah and that that's oh. always fun where you can find some mundane repetitive task and just write a powershell script and then you learn about scheduled jobs and you set it and forget it yeah um, i think that for me learning powershell and and the approach to, to problem solving it changed the way i viewed everything and approached all problems. Yeah, right? I view everything as a PowerShell, and I, I keep even I'm, I'll be like writing a Microsoft Word document. I want to tab complete something, and right, I just, I, just, I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why won't this work? Uh, one day, one day. Microsoft Word's going to start uh, having. I guess they have predictive text kind of things, like yeah, uh, but they do. But it's, it's I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm in, yeah, you know, PowerShell, and I want to. Yeah. It's not the same and it's not tab. Like you have to hit a different key to get it to fill out automatically. And that's no good. It's got to be tab. Yeah. I, I spend my entire day uh, in a PowerShell prompt. I've written, I've organized my entire life that if I need to start something, I just run an alias and it, I start everything. I almost never go to the start menu to try to find a program to run. I have an alias that I just mm-hmm. type and. It's all PowerShell. Yeah, I noticed on your GitHub you have a very healthy number of projects, <laughs> which is JD Hit Solutions, I believe, right? Yeah, JD HIT Solution. Yeah, we'll give you a link in the show notes. Awesome, awesome. Link in the show notes. Yeah, we need, definitely need to get a lot of the show notes. We had the same thing with uh, the previous. Uh, Kelly's gonna be mad at me for talking about oh, <laughs> webcast is not even released, but <laughs> it's we we found out before we used to go and researched with all the notes to go. And now at the end, is with uh, doing it live here. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit, little bit different. It is, but I can tell you're a pro. You you know what you're doing when you're crafting your, <laughs> you know, you know where the conversation and, and the things to say. So it's awesome. But you mentioned a few commands. So some kind of commands to kind of help you figure out your way. Yeah, you said, the like holy. A few. But when I'm teaching PowerShell to beginners, uh, there's kind of a holy trinity of commands. 
These are commands that you need to know how to use and the commands you should be using all the time. Right. First one is get help or using the help function, which is just a easier wrapper for get help. Right. Get help will give you the syntax and description of every command and how to use it. Now it does take a little effort and deciphering and understanding what you're reading. The description is one thing. Right. Um, I went through help today with the on-ramp people and I took time to explain how to read the syntax and the square brackets and all that and what that meant. And one person said, Oh, now I understand that makes sense. Cause they just looked at that and just kind of glazed over them. But you, so you need to understand what you're reading when you see that. And I was stress people, you need to be in the habit of reading help all the time, even for commands that you think you know. Nowadays, PowerShell comes out, you know, new version twice a year, more if you're running the preview versions. So help is constantly changing. There are new commands, there are new parameters. When I started with PowerShell, like version one, there were maybe, you know, 200 commandlets. Right. You could probably learn 200 commandlets. If you do get command now, you're probably going to see thousands of commands. There's no way that you can do that. So the most important thing about PowerShell is learning how to learn, learning where to go to find information. Get help is one of them. And this, this is, has bitten me in the past. I tell the story all the time. <clears throat> I was working on a problem. I say, I can't get this to work. Why is this? Fine, I'll go read the help. I read, and it was a command. I can't remember what the command was, but it's a command that very basically I thought I knew. I'm looking through a look at the examples, go, oh crap. The example, what I'm trying to do is right there in the example. Because when I first read the help, you know, maybe that example didn't resonate with me. Right. But the second time, I go, oh, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Or a parameter. You may gloss over some commands, you know, have a gazillion parameters and you miss it. And then you go back when you really need to go, oh, that's the parameter I need. That solves my problem. And that's not counting, again, the new stuff that gets thrown in all the time. So you have to be in the habit of reading the help all the time, even for stuff you think you know. Um, so get help. The second part is get command. Get command will show you what PowerShell can find on your computer. It'll show you the PowerShell functions, commandlets, and applications. And the applications will be programs that are in your path variable, your environmental variable. So Windows, DOS kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So stuff that's like in the Windows directory or System32, like Notepad. Yeah, stuff you know, that you that can just run. type in the name of and it'll right. run it. You can it, just right? run Notepad. Yeah. But if you are trying to run a program, um, oh, like I'm, I'm an amateur composer, and so I use MuseScore, which is an open source composing. It's not in my path. So I, if I want to run MuseScore from the command line, I've got to type the full path. Now, what I've ended up doing is creating an alias that points to that, so I don't have to do that again because I'm lazy in that regard. Uh, but the but get command will show you the command. So if you're trying to find, run a command and it's not working, run get command and learn how to read the help because it only shows you necessarily commands that may be loaded in your system. There are ways to use command to say, if I have this module loaded, what commands are in this module, all right? So again, it's, this, it's the discovery piece and knowing, again, how to find what you need to know. So we learned about help and get command. Get command. And I guess and you, could one, run, you could run help get command. You could, yes. Okay, yeah. what's the next one? Uh, um, is get member. Okay. So we're talking about PowerShell objects in the pipeline. 
Okay, what's an object? What does an object look like? The thing that I try to tell people, especially beginners, is don't assume that when, when you run a command like get process, that the output you see on the screen is all there is. Again, it's not just text. Right. You know, it's an object. There are properties. There are things that describe what the thing is. So if you pipe a command, any command to get member, that will show you the members. That's the way we describe the elements of an object, the properties, the methods, events. And, and PowerShell is great at abstracting a lot of the .NET sausage making that happens to make PowerShell so great. So make it easy for us. Make it of. easy. And, you know, the PowerShell team has gone in some cases like get process or process objects are a great example. There are script properties that the PowerShell team has added. These are additional kind of defined on the fly properties. They're not part of the .NET object. PowerShell added them. And eventually when you learn more of PowerShell, you can you can create those things yourself and, and customize objects as well. But get member then will show you what the object looks like, which is important because when we're working with objects, we're running commandlets. Those commandlets are working with objects. They're consuming them. They're emitting them. We're running them through the pipeline. And many times we're going to look at a commandlet and it's going to say, yep, I can use this parameter. And it is going to use the value from my property of the object that it's working with. Right. So select object is kind of the fourth part of the holy trinity. So kind of a holy trinity plus one. So select object is a way of saying, I only want these properties of this object, or I can use select object and I can even create custom objects on the fly, fly with hash tables. But if you can identify the object property, then you can use it pretty much anywhere in PowerShell where you need to use some value. So that's why using get help, get command, um, get member, and then select object. If you can master and understand how to use those commands, you can do almost anything in PowerShell. Or at least learn how to do anything in PowerShell. And that's the important part. Right. So what are the, this is actually a, a question I've always had, but I never found an answer for. When it comes to the 80 uh, module within PowerShell. Uh -huh. Active Directory. Yeah, the Active Directory. The, the properties aren't all listed by default. You have to, in the Git, say, I want these specific properties, and then you can select them. I've never seen it in any other... Okay, so so here's, the, here's the, the deal, and this is kind of applies to the PowerShell ecosystem that's out there. We all know, for those who have been using PowerShell for a while, that there's kind of an accepted behavior for commandlets, the ways that we expect it to work as IT pros. Not every PowerShell solution and by that, I mean like a module. So like from the Active Directory team or VMware or Citrix, they may not necessarily follow the best practice or the accepted way that we think something should, should work. They're running commandlets or PowerShell solutions to their products or technologies that make sense to them. Now, in the, I can speak to the Active Directory one. So in the Active Directory world, the Active Directory team and Microsoft, their customers, if you will, are developers. And the way that they work with domain controllers is different than the way that we do as IT pros. And this is something I always found funny. So for their perspective, they don't want to put any stress on a domain controller. 
Okay, so if I'm going to query domain controller, I'm going to be very specific about what I want it to do, because God forbid I make the domain controller do any work. So what you are used to would be like the old Quest commandlets from Quest software. Yeah, QAD. Get QAD user, which would query Active Directory and bring me back everything about that object. Active Directory says, no, no, you need to tell me what you want. And so they're designed that way. And they've also made their commandlets so that all their parameters technically are dynamic. They do some things under the hood that make working with those commandlets sometimes less optimal than they might be like using get server to get process. So I, I never got into the quest. It's just my first foray was in Active Directory. So I thought the specified properties, like for, for a long time, once I started moving past Active Directory, I would specify property. Like I want to capture these properties in the Git. And, and it's like, no, that doesn't. Now, it's in some ways, that's kind of nice because, you know, get AD users forcing you to filter. And, 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 and that's kind of nice because, you know, if you're going to query 5,000 user accounts, you don't necessarily, you truly don't probably need, you know, the hundred properties that might come with each user account. So in, in some regards, I can say, okay, that kind of makes sense. A, uh, but the trick is knowing what the property names are. Yeah, an AD object does have just, an extreme number of attributes to, to select from. So I guess that does make sense to kind of limit from. Yeah. And, and to add, you know, insult to injury there, some of those property names are ADSI property names and not necessarily real names. Right. Unless they've aliased it. So it used to be like L for location instead of city. But now I think you can use city. So the, <laughs> or, or like instead of first name, it's given name. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So those are just things that you have to, to, to learn. But the, but, the, but the point is, when you learned how to use get AD user, it's still reading help. You can run get AD user, you know, filter administrator, pipe to get member, just pipe uh, filter, <clears throat> and then select object star. So you make sure you get all the properties back. But you would get that from reading the help to know, oh, I need to do star, It'll show me all the properties. So if you do get member, it'll show you all the properties. If you do select object star, it'll show you all the properties and the values. Sometimes that's more helpful because you may look at get member and it'll show you all the property names like get process. Right. If you pipe get process to get member, you'll see a lot of property names and go, I don't know what that really means. But then if you do it to select object star, you see the property name, see the value. Oh, okay. Now I, that makes sense to me. Or, or the other cheat is to pipe an object to format list star. Yeah. And then you get the same thing. Sometimes format list is easier. I just do FL. Yep. FL star. Yep. Yeah. So if, uh, I guess for those at home, that if they're going out and testing, get member just because of, uh, I mean, it is super valuable. If they're going through it, yeah, the method, they got the note properties, which is just basically prints out as it is. The methods, which are things you can do to the results. Right. A method is, <clears throat> so if, when you do get member and, and pipe something to it, and re, I, I, want, I meant, to, meant to mention this earlier. So get member, it can be very helpful because you may run a command and not get the result that you are expecting. Right. Because depending on what you're doing, the object could change in the pipeline. If you pipe, if you pipe, you know, get process to measure object, you may be starting with process objects, but at the end you're getting a measure info object or piping to group objects. You're getting different things at the end of the pipeline. 
Different types of objects. Different yeah. types of objects, right. So things can change. Yeah. And sometimes that's good. That's what you want. But if you're not getting what you're expecting, so if I did like get process, pipe to measure object, and then select object, try and select a property name of a process, it's going to fail. And say, why is that failing? So back off, get process, pipe to measure object, pipe to get member. Then you can see exactly what type of object Polish is writing to the pipeline. Say, oh, okay, it's not a process object. I need to, to back off. So if you're not getting the results you're, you are expecting, back off the last command, pipe to get members. You can see uh, what's going on. So when you pipe to get member, you'll see alias properties. Those are another layer of abstraction that Microsoft has added so that you don't have to be a .NET developer. Um, for example, in the process object, it has an alias property of handles because technically the .NET property is handle count. So unless you're a .NET developer who knows that class, you wouldn't know that it's handle count. But we don't think of, as IT pros, we're not thinking, just show me the handles. Okay, so they made that easier. Um, a note property is just a static property. There's just a, a note, as the name implies, something that, again, that's added by the PowerShell team. Method are things that you can do to the object or the object can do. You'll find properties. Those are the ones that are defined in the .NET class. You'll find code properties. Those are added by Microsoft. That's running some compiled piece of code. You really have no idea what it's doing, but it's going to return a value. It's a calculated value. You'll find script properties, and those you can usually kind of see. It'll be a script block. Again, it's a calculated property. It's going to run some little snippet of code, and whatever the value that it gets back, that's the property value. You can learn to add those yourself as well. Yeah, that's actually uh, one we ran into where I was trying to figure out what I was. I didn't even know what I was trying to do. I knew what I, the end results I wanted, and I didn't know to Google or search for calculated properties. So I was kind yeah, of- and when you use, if you look at help for select object, you can create custom properties on the fly with that hash table. You know, name equals expression equals. That's in essence a script property. Okay, and then there's also property sets. Uh, what you see, like, again, process objects have them <clears throat> where they are, instead of a having to do select object property A, B, and C, you can just do select object property D, which is defined to take A, B, and C. So it's a little shortcut way saying, and, and so someone at Microsoft decided a IT pro might want to see this group of properties on a process object together. So instead of forcing you to try to remember what those properties are, they just made a little simple cheat, just one script property, which you're not going to see unless you pipe it to get member. And one thing with script properties that I didn't, you you appreciate once you realize what's happening is if something's pulling in a date or time that's not human readable, there's always, almost always a script property that's putting out in a format that we can read. Sometimes, yeah. Almost always. Almost always, but it, it always seems to, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm going back to my starting an AD background. Those are all converted for you when you pull them uh, in. <laughs> I see a lot that aren't, and you got to get date on them. Well, I mean, it, a, a good PowerShell tool, and a lot of the Microsoft stuff is like this, they go to great efforts to try to abstract and make stuff as easy to, to use for IT pros. Because the, the basic audience for PowerShell really was an IT professional. Even though there's a lot of .NET stuff and it's a, a cool developer tool and all of that, it's you know, Jeffrey Snover wanted it to be 
the bucket of water so when you run around with your hair on fire, you know, douse your head and get the problem solved and go home without having to learn all sorts of arcane. So it should be simple. It's consistent. That's why we have the verb dash noun and dash parameter name space. You know, it's not like the old days with command line tools from the NT resource kit. You know, is it forward slash? Is it backward slash? Is there an equal sign? Is there a colon? They're right. constantly trying to, how do I use this tool? So once you learn PowerShell and learn the basics, the it doesn't matter whether you're running get AD user or get VM or piping get AD user to measure object or to group object because you notice that object, that, that noun is object. It doesn't care that it's a user account or mailbox. Measure object. Doesn't matter what type of object, just give me a property that has a numeric value and I'll give you the sum, the average, and now the mean and a couple other fancy things. So that's what makes PowerShell really cool. What used to take, because I used to be a VB scripter. So stuff that I used to do in VB script that would take, you know, 50 or 60 lines of arcane, painful code. Now it's a one-line PowerShell command that it's like, oh my God, it's amazing. So uh I don't know. I feel lucky that my first language was PowerShell. So I've always been object oriented. When I have to deal with something that just outputs a string now, it feels like I've died inside. Like I know there's a lot of value there, but getting an object back, I didn't realize how awesome that was until I noticed its absence once. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the big challenge for a lot of people, especially those people coming to PowerShell from more text-based shells. So a lot of you know Linux people, probably more than Windows people, have a, a little bit higher higher hill to climb because they're used to just parsing text, which is fine because that's what you know Linux is designed for. That's the way that it works. Windows is not based on that. Windows is based on the .NET framework. It's all objects, and so people you know when PowerShell first came out, you know people were saying, oh, it's worse or better than Bash or whatnot. It's ir totally irrelevant. They're apples and oranges. The, they're management tools that are designed for their platform. Yes, it's. I, I have trouble if I'm in the Linux world, in, in a pure Linux problem, not running PowerShell, to try to remember how to do stuff, especially in a pipeline, because I'm not that proficient, because I don't use Linux all the time. Right. So I always have to read, okay, how do I use awk again? What does that really do? Or set? Or what is that thing? Whereas in PowerShell, because I've used it all the time, yeah, I can blow right through that. And yeah, I'm used to seeing things as an object. Oh, yeah, why can't it be like that? So I do struggle, like in the Linux side, because I'm coming. and But that explains why they're struggling when they come to the PowerShell side, because they're thinking, well, where's my grep? You know, how do I parse that output that I'm seeing? Because we're not used to thinking about, because it doesn't, it's, for, completely foreign to the Linux paradigm. It's not an object. It's text, or uh, I think Anthony Nocentino tried to describe it to me as it's some sort of special, I guess it was a fancy Linux term for it. We, we, we're we dumbing it down when we just say text. In text, yeah. I apologize the to the matters Linux. or something yeah, like that. For, for yeah. Linux users. I know, I know we're followed by a, a big proponent of PowerShell on Linux, and I, don't, and I hope he doesn't feel like we're attacking him because... Obviously, he's. Everyone has their own thing. I just, I need my objects. I can't. I well, can't take PowerShell with you. Nothing wrong with that, right? Linux isn't just that. 
you can use PowerShell on Linux and still use your objects. That's what I do. I, I did some kind of just fun security stuff that uses some Linux utilities, and I still use PowerShell to do all the looping that kind of you need for some of these CTFs and stuff like that. It's my comfortable language. I'm just going to keep using it. If I have a need for an external tool, I'll just call it. Right, and that's the nice thing about PowerShell is that you can run anything from that prompt, whether yeah. you're in Windows or Linux. Or on your machine or somewhere else. You know, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of options there. Well, um, I think that we mentioned a lot of great things. I think this is an awesome episode for people getting into PowerShell or looking to see some more value out of it and looking to take that next step. Um, you mentioned a bunch of great resources. Um, I'll, I'll make sure you have links to everything. Links. We got Pluralsight courses. We got all kinds of things. Um, where can people kind of follow you or keep up with what you're doing? I know you have a, a PS tweet chat on Fridays if people yeah, want to get on for Twitter. people new to Power, well, not even new to PowerShell, but if you're in the PowerShell community... So on the first Friday of every month from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, um, I kind of host or facilitate uh, kind of an open chat on Twitter. We use the pound PS tweet chat tag. And so it's just everyone's welcome. It's just more, hey, what you've been doing? What have you learned that's new? Anything exciting to share? Um, I actually create a transcript uh, of the chat. So if you miss it, it's up on GitHub and you can go back and look at the Nice. That's a transcript, so I do that. So Twitter is probably the best place, um, at Jeff Hicks. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I blog. I'll give you the link to the blog. Um, I have a premium newsletter. I'm, I've started oh. on Substack this year. I subscribe to that. Very oh, cool you. stuff, yes. Um, Script so that's recently. been kind of fun to do. And, uh, but Twitter is probably the uh, the best place and easiest place. And I, I'm usually on there quite a bit or... or kind of watching. So feel free to reach out to me on, on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. It would be great to see some more uh, people from our uh, audience engaging in PS tweet chat, you know, telling us what you're working on. It doesn't have to be something intended to blow our minds. It's just checking in. What's everybody up to? Yeah. And, and sometimes people will get on and say, Hey, I'm, I'm running into this problem and we'll try to direct people, give them, you know, get them down, start down the right path yeah. and give them a source to look at. And very supportive group I've found. Yeah. As, 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 and that's the community, as we all know. Yep. Take a chance, get involved, put yourself out there, and get to experience it yourself. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us well, today. Thank you. Thank you. We have to shill a little bit. It's important part of our day. We, we were both terrible at it, so we have to wind up. Are you going to take it this time? Uh, all right. All right. You got this. Um, thank you listeners for listening to this uh, episode today. If you enjoyed this and got some value out of this, please uh, leave five stars on your podcast platform of choice, um, be that Apple Podcasts or any others. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, and we always appreciate you. Uh, if you have any comments or th things we can improve, you can email us at powershell at pdq.com. I'm Andrew. I'm Jordan. Bye. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. They are cunning, capable, agile, flexible. They know what they're doing. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.